episode number 26. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast, lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Higher Life Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the Torah portion of the week, which is Kiseisei, how to wake from your complacent dream, a powerful parable about the wasted request. We're going to have a great story about the Chavetz Chaim, and Peace in Your Home is going to be speaking about Love Defies Logic. And now, the Torah portion of the week, with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. This week's Parsha starts out with Kiseisei Lemelchama, when you go out to wage a war against your enemies. The verse continues and says, And Hashem your God will deliver him into your hand, and you will capture its people as captives. And you will see among its captivity a woman who is beautiful of form, and you will desire her, and you will take her for herself as a wife. That's called the Yafis Torah. So Rashi explains we're talking about an optional war. In other words, when we have enemies, we want to get rid of them. It's not a war that's commanded by God. So the verses continue and it says this woman that you're going to take into your house, she has to let her nails grow and she has to shave her hair. And she's sitting in your house for a month and she has to weep over her father and her mother. Basically, she has to make herself uncommonly in front of you. And what's going to ha- happen is you're not going to want to marry her. But if you do marry her, you know what's going to happen? The Pesukim say you'll come to hate her. And the Pesukim after that say you're going to wind up with a rebellious son. If a man will have a wayward and rebellious son who does not listen to the voice of his father and to the voice of his mother, and they discipline him, but he still doesn't listen... So the mother and father are going to grab him and take him to the elders of the city by the gate. And they say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is a wayward, rebellious. He doesn't listen to our voice. He is a glut and a guzzler. He's eating meat all day and he's drinking wine all day. So what do they do? All the men in the city shall pelt him with stones and he shall die. And you should destroy the evil from your midst and all of Israel shall hear and fear. Chazal tells us this never happened actually. There's too many tanaims, too, too many conditions. It never happened. So Rashi explains he has to eat a certain amount of meat and he has to drink a certain amount of wine. So the Tsar and many other Chazal and many of our rabbis explain this war that we're talking about is also applicable to the war against the Sahara, against the man's evil inclination. The Tsar says like this, When you go out to war on your enemy, this is the evil instinct against which we must go out with words of Torah and attack it. And thus it will be surrendered to man. As it is said, and the Lord your God will give him over in your hand, what's the Pesukim say, and you will take captive his captivity. In other words, if you learn Torah, you're going to win over the evil inclination. So if Miller from Gateshead has a couple questions on this, the question is, first of all, why is Torah study the number one remedy to curing the Sahara, man's evil inclination? Why is it more powerful than other mitzvahs? Secondly, he brings a famous Gemara and Brachos that says like this, If a man experiences suffering, he should search his deeds. If he searched and failed to find the cause of his deeds, he should attribute it to the negligence of Torah study. So why this misdeed should be any greater than another, any other misdeed? In other words, if you can't find what you did wrong, a person's suffering, he's having a hard time in life, he has to do a cheshbon and nefesh. He has to think, what am I doing wrong? Why is this happening to me? So we say, if you can't find something... So, it must be because of negligence of Torah study. What does that chazal mean? What's so special about Torah study that you'll be punished over any other mitzvahs? And the third question is, the Sifri explains that it says, On your enemies. We're talking about an optional war. The Sifri says. It sounds like it's an aggressive kind of a war. 
why are we being so aggressive against our enemies, which in this case is the Yetzirah? Why do we have to be so aggressive against our evil inclination? If he's not bothering us, so we shouldn't bother him. Why do we always have to be in the offensive and always have a preemptive strike? So the Vilna Gaon explains in the Gemara and Brachos like this. Why is it true that if a man searches through all of his deeds because he's suffering and he wants to really figure out what's going on and he wants to stop his suffering, why should he attribute it to neglect and Torah study if he can't find anything that he's doing wrong? The Vilna Gaon says an unbelievable pushout. He says the reason why he can't find anything wrong is because of the Torah study. In other words, it's because of the to- that you're not studying Torah. That's the reason why you can't find anything else that's wrong. Because it's the Torah study itself that gives consciousness. It's the thing that wakes us up. The spiritual drug of choice, which gives us awareness, is the Torah itself. So, of course, the person is doing wrong deeds, he's doing things wrong. But if he can't find any deeds, so he has to attribute that to lack of Torah study. Plus the actual fact that the Homer itself, what you're learning, it's teaching you morals and the right way to go. So you don't know you're making mistakes unless you learn. If you don't learn, you're not aware of your own mistakes. And that's why the Zohar says that the way to attack our evil inclination is with Torah. That's the only thing that works, which Masiwa Yisrael is going to say. I'll bring it down later. So now I want to explain why this is considered an optional war, this war against your evil inclination. So the answer to that is in the other verses which we read, which has to do with the rebellious son. There's Yushalmi in Sanhedrin and it says like this, The rebellious son is judged because of the way he would end. God saw that he would eventually dissipate his parents' wealth and become a highway robber man at the crossroad, robbing people and taking their lives, and finally forgetting his learning, the Yishami says. In other words, the reason why we kill this boy, which we never did, but the reason why we would kill this boy, is we see where he's going, we see his future. So the funny thing about this is at the end of the Yishami, it says, and after he does all that, he's going to forget his Torah learning. So why is that the worst thing? That's because even if he's robbing and he's stealing... If he forgets his Torah learning, he's actually going to lose his consciousness. He's going to go into a deep sleep. Because at that point, all is lost. If a person doesn't learn, he doesn't know what the laws are. He doesn't have any kind of spiritual influence. So that person is lost. In the end, this person will not come back. He will not choser b'tshuva and repent. So why is his fight against Aryeh Sahara considered optional? And how did this boy go off? What, what happened? He drank wine. He ate some meat. What's the problem? The answer is in the Evan Ezra. You got to hear this. This is unbelievable. The Evan Ezra says like this. Marbe lishtot, he drinks a lot. he gets drunk. unbelievable. He says a person who eats a lot and gets drunk, he's like an apikorsis. What does that mean? It means that probably like a person who knows the Torah, but goes against the Torah. He doesn't believe in the Torah. He's an apikorsis. He hates the Torah. Because his whole approach to life in this world is to get pleasure from eating and drinking. So a person with that view of life is an apicorsis. He's off the way. He is clueless about what life is about. I know this sounds extreme, but I get stoned for even saying these things. But people who are just following after the physical world, they are completely out of it. They're in a complacent dream. And that's why it's considered an optional war. Because the people don't feel like they need to go to war. Go to war against what? What do I need to fight? I need to fight against my desires? Isn't that what life is about? 
Isn't it about going out to nice restaurants, enjoying yourself, having a beautiful house, a beautiful car, or the luxuries of life? Isn't that what life is about? No, that's not what the Taurus's life is about. You're sleeping, you're dreaming. Nobody says that you can't have these things. Nobody says that you're not, it's, it's forbidden to enjoy yourself, but you have to take everything in the proper measure and you have to end the proper focus. What's the goal of life? But the person says, what's the big deal? What am I doing wrong? Basically, I'm a good Jew. I keep Shabbos, I eat kosher. Why do I need to learn so much? Let me live my life the way I want to live it. I want to enjoy life, have a nice couch, a nice house, a nice everything. But if you do that, you will start to lose touch with reality. And you don't think you need to fight against your Yetzirah. You think you're fine. You think everything's great. But now is the time of Elul. The time before Rosh Hashanah, Yom Adin. If you start to learn Torah, you'll start to wake up. You'll see what's required of you. You'll start to feel spiritual. you realize that life is only 120 years. And at that point, the optional war becomes real to you. Hey, I got to fight against this Yetzirah. He's trying to trick me. He's trying to lead me off the path. He's trying to make my life into something I'm not supposed to be. And that's why the Chafetz Chaim explains that this verse is teaching that it has to be a constant battle, never ending. He says like this from Gemara Brachos, a person must always stir up his Yetzir Tov, his good inclination, against his Yetzir constantly. He gives an example like this. It's like two people are in business and one guy rips the guy off, the guy off and he's trying to get the money back and he knows it's useless because the guy spent the money already. But he says, still yell at the guy, scream at the guy because it's going to stop in the future. Or the Yetzirah allows you to do certain mitzvahs sometimes and he's tricking you. You always constantly have to be on guard. And Torah study is the only thing that wakes the person up. It puts him on guard. He all of a sudden becomes aware of where he's holding when he starts to learn. When he learns the laws of where he's holding, he doesn't measure just on his neighbors. In general, we measure based on our neighbors. We think we're a big fish, but we're really in a small pond. Like the story of this one guy, he had a calendar, a Jewish calendar. He was the only one in the Jewish town that had a calendar. They made him the rabbi. Why? Because he had a calendar. Is he really a rabbi? No. Question, how do we measure where we're holding? So the Torah has to be our standard. That's the thing that's going to get us out of our complacency before Rosh Hashanah. And the Eved Ezra says, if not, courses, God forbid, we're against the Torah because we're trying to make life into something that it's not. It's not, the goal of life is not pleasures. Pleasures are there to help us serve God. We're not against pleasure. We need pleasure because we're human beings, but it's there for a different goal. Not a goal in itself. I want to end off here with the Messiah Yisharim. I'm going to read it. The evil inclination in truth is very strong in man. And without man's awareness, it overpowers and masters him. Even if a man resorts to every kind of trick in the world, but does not take the cure created for it, i.e. the Torah, he will not know or feel that his sickness is increasing, except when he dies in sin and his soul perishes. In other words, slowly, slowly, if you stop learning Torah, the world creeps up on you. It starts to get comfortable. It starts to, you know, hanging around, wasting time, buying new things, consumerism. It creeps up on you until, God forbid, after 120 years, the person dies in his sin. He's not even aware of it. He continues, he says, what is this could be compared to? A rich man who sought this counsel of physicians, who was diagnosed with this sickness, and they told him to take a certain medicine. He, however, was a Ibrahim, he didn't take their medicine, and he took different medications. Doesn't this patient risk death? 
so too is spiritual sickness. No one but God who created the evil inclination knows this sickness and the power which it is impressed in man. Our evil inclination is something completely beyond us. No one understands it. And God told us, he has cautioned us, that the antidote to the to- is the Torah. So who could possibly say, no, I got a different trick up my sleeve? Who can use different substitutions? Most certainly the darkness and gross, gross nature will gain ascendancy step by step, and he won't be able to even feel it until he finds himself steeped in evil so far removed from truth that even a casual thought to seek the truth will not enter his heart. You hear this? Scary. But he concludes like this. But if he occupies himself with the study of the Torah on seeing her ways, he will have a spiritual awakening and he will stir afresh with him and set him on the right path. The Torah, Torah Tavlin, the Torah is the refuah. It is the drug. It's the only thing that's going to wake us up out of our dream. Now is the time in Eloah, just before Rosh Hashanah. Open a book. Learn something. The wisdom is there. It's waiting. We can find our way back and we can get our goal straight. God has given us a chance to find our way back to Him. And it's only through the Torah. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. I want to tell a story about the Chavetz Chaim. It's just like this. One time there was a man from another country who heard about this unbelievable Torah scholar, the Chavetz Chaim, and he wanted to travel and see him. He wanted to meet up with him. I have to speak to him. However, when he got there, he sees this dilapidated house. It took him very much by surprise. So he asked the Chavetz Chaim, Rabbi, he asked, how can it be that a great man like you lives in such poorly furnished house? You have so very little furniture, and it's in such bad condition. So he asked him, What about you? The Chavetz Chaim asked. Do you have a handsome, well-furnished home here in Raden? He said, No, of course not. I'm only a visitor. I only came for a short while. Very soon I will be leaving. Why do I need a comfortable home for such a short stay? Any room will do. So the Chavetz Chaim said, I will tell you, all the people in the world are here just for a short stay. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. So I'm going to go through Rev. Nachman Diamond, the third chapter here, on Shalom Bias. This chapter is called Love Defies Logic. He said one time he heard about a woman who was a complete sadakist. She used to pray, keep all the mitzvahs, Shabbos, everything. She was very stringent. And she was married to someone. Her husband was eating nevelos on Yom Kippur, eating treif on Yom Kippur. And they were married for 60 years happily. How could this be? So the answer is they were from Hungary. They happened to be cousins. And the only way they could get out, they had these papers that it was for a married couple. So they said they were going to get married. And when we get to America, we'll break up. When they got there... They didn't know the language, mentality, anything. And they said, you know what? We'll stay married. As long as we don't impose our own religious standards on each other. And that's the way it went. They stayed married, happily married for 60 years. The woman was religious. The man was not religious. So he says, because of that story, he one time gave advice to another couple that were fighting for years and years. They're about to get a divorce. And, and the, the Rav based and said, let's send him to this Rav and we'll ask him what he should do. And Minushimayim, it came that there was a story that, that somebody told him he knew that in Russia, they needed a couple there to spread Yiddishkeit. So he took this couple that were fighting all the time and he sent them. He said, amazingly, they came back in love. Everything was fine. 
They said both these stories because the people had the motivation to work it out with each other. So in that sense, if you want something, if you love something, you can defy logic. He gives another story. One time there was a bachelor with a very low IQ. He claims the guy was almost retarded. And he married a very healthy spiritual girl. So they tried to break up the shit before they got married. No, this girl loved this guy. She always said he's so sweet. He would say stupid things. And she would say, oh, he's so sweet. She was able to overlook all of his deficiencies just because she loved him. There's a famous Gemara that says that when there's love, a couple can sleep on a bed that's the width of the knife of a blade. But even if they don't love each other, even a bed of 60 amos is not enough for them. So if Chaim Shmuel Levitch explains the famous Gemara that says that one generation that six men were able to learn under one talus. So how is that possible? A talus is really only big enough for two people. The answer is if each one's trying to cover up the other guy, so you'll be able to do it. The same thing in the house, the same thing in the wife, the same thing with the kids. If there's love, you can defy logic. Like as if there's love, you look the other way. You're able to get along, no matter what. Not to put six people under one talus. And when you do that, obviously there's going to be more love in your house because if you're giving love to your wife and your kids and your family, they're going to be giving back to you. So you end up with one story like this. One time there was a couple that had a 16-year-old boy that ran away. So after four days, the boy called back. And the father's real angry on the phone. He's saying, don't you care about us? Do you have any idea what we've been through? How do you leave a mother and father to suffer like this? You know we can't even sleep at night. Don't you care? You should have called. Just tell us you were alive. What did the son do? He hung up the phone. Two days later, no call. So they go to the Rav and what does the Rav tell them? He says, listen, the boy is looking for love. Since you, everything you say, you're only talking about yourself, you and your wife. He wants to hear you miss him. You love him. He says, tell the boy next time he calls. We miss you. We're waiting for you. We love you. We want you to come home. The father didn't want to do it. He was all upset. But still, when the boy called, he did it. And it worked. The boy came home. So even though it's logical, when your child is doing the wrong thing, you should be up upset and you should care about yourself, how he's hurting you and how he's hurting your wife and what he's doing to the family. But love can defy logic. Tell the boy you miss him. Tell him you love him. That's the thing that's going to bring peace into your home. Here's a powerful So the Chavetz Chaim has a parable that goes like this. He starts out with an introduction. He says, Most people's main concern in their prayers are for the physical world, worldly affairs, food, earning a living, and so on. However, when it comes to praying about other matters, such as that I should do tshuva, I should repent, that I should understand what the Torah says, that I should have a love for God and a love for the Torah, spiritual matters, only a select few people really pray for these kind of things. He says, however, it could be compared to a brainless soldier. One time a king came to expect a military camp in his country. Everybody stood at attention. The king goes through the line. He's expecting, examining everybody. But he comes out. He's very pleased at the end. So the king comes. I've decided to grant everyone here within reason a witch. Come and ask me for what you want. And if I can, I'll accommodate you. So one soldier comes forward and says like this. Please, your majesty. I want that my daily rations of food are to be given to me regularly, every day without fail. So afterwards, the other soldiers started to laugh at him. You idiot, what do you, why'd you ask for such a thing? You get that automatically. As long as you're a good soldier, 
You're going to get food. You're going to be taken care of. You get clothes and you get food, whatever you need. The king gave you a chance to ask for a special favor. So why would you ask for food? So the Chavetz Chaim says, by us, it's the same story. As long as we do the will of God, God is, of course, going to take care of us. We're God's soldiers. He'll take care of our clothes and our food and our house and everything that we need. We should be praying that we are good soldiers and that our service meets up to the King of Kings. That's it for this week's podcast. Please share with your friends. It's Elul now. Maybe somebody's going to hear this and it can help them. And please leave comments. Have a great Shabbos. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMitterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 